Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first official episode of the Gadget Reason podcast for the week of March 4th, 2018. Now, if you've been listening to the Gadget Reason station on the Anchor app on Android or iOS, or if you've been listening to any of the uploaded podcast episodes for any of your favorite podcast platforms in the past, then you're probably wondering why this would be called the first official episode of the Gadget Reason podcast. So I want to start off this episode with sort of an explanation of where I've been for the past, I guess it's been about eight weeks now, and kind of what the rethinking of what I plan to do with dividing up the Gadget Reason sort of show or the Gadget Reason brand and all of the content associated with it into different parts and different pieces. So I think at the end of that explanation, you should have a pretty good idea of why this particular episode is going to be the actual first official episode of the Gadget Reason podcast, and you'll have a better understanding of what to expect from the podcast and the content on the Anchor app going forward. So I wanted to start off with just a brief sort of an overview of where I disappeared to for the last couple of weeks and kind of what the new expectations you can expect from the Gadget Reason show, both on the Anchor app as well as the podcast going forward. So the story of what happened the few weeks that I didn't upload any new content is kind of uh, not very simple. There's a lot of things that led into um, that decision that was made to kind of take a break from the Gadget Reason content. Um, You know, to make a long story short, uh, the holidays rolled around and I was super busy in regards to just everything that most people have to do for holidays, just family, shopping, you know, just all kinds of crazy things were going on. And then I also got uh, laryngitis and I lost my voice. So obviously uploading content um, that involves me speaking and recording audio was just not in the cards. Um, But uh, as I sort of ended out 2017, uh, I also started off 2018 with a plan for what I wanted to do with the Gadget Reason show and all the content that I enjoy creating for you guys. But um, if you've listened to the show in the past, you know that I actually run two other businesses. So I'm, I'm definitely an entrepreneurial type of person. Um, I currently run a very small boutique style graphic design studio. Um, it's really just me. Um, I do all the work myself, including uh, photography, videography, um, any type of graphic design or artwork. Um, I do paintings and illustrations, and I also do... Um, pretty much anything that has to do with design, including some small scale web development. So um, at different times of the year, that business can get busy and it sort of takes up larger chunks of my time. Aside from that, I'm also a part owner of a CrossFit gym. Health and fitness is just something I've always been passionate about, uh, along with art and technology. And um, so, you know, I always wanted to be uh, involved in something where I could affect people in that regard. And so when I had the opportunity to partner with someone and own a piece of a CrossFit gym, I did that. And so that takes up a little bit of my time as well. Now, with all of that being said, um, I did for a long time, I really did have a plan for how I was going to keep up with all the content that I wanted to produce for Gadget Reason. But when I got sick and then the holidays rolled around and then coming into 2018, I actually got the flu, um, which is weird because I haven't had the flu in probably about 12 years. Uh, But I did get the flu and I got bronchitis on top of the flu. And so that put me out of commission for a while. And it really gave me some time to rethink exactly what I wanted to do for for this, uh, this gadget reason concept. And in that same time frame, as I started to kind of put all my ideas together and and think about how I was going to create the first sort of kickoff episode of the new, uh, I guess, the new relaunching of Gadget Reason, um, Anchor um, went about updating the Anchor application with a pretty significant update, which I'll talk about a little bit uh, later on in the show. But, um, you know, the new Anchor platform really sort of was a catalyst for everything that I had wanted that was missing from Anchor previously. And uh, it was going to make it a lot easier for me to not only create the kind of content that I wanted to create, but also justify uh, the time that I might spend in creating that content. So as most of you know, um, if you've been using the Anchor platform or if you've attempted to make a podcast in any other way in the past, you know, coming up with a with a way to monetize or, or get paid for your time can be kind of difficult. And just as it is with YouTube, or anything else, um, being that I do have two other businesses that make up, you know, basically my my yearly income, 
um, any time that I dedicate towards gadget reason is obviously something that is is a, basically comes down to just a hobby or volunteering my time at this point because um, there's currently really no monetization happening with um, with gadget reason. So um, so yeah, all of that had to be taken into account, but. Uh, going forward, I'm going to stick to basically two different types of content. I will continue to create the very short format type content for the Anchor application. And that content will continue to be exactly what you've come to expect if you've been tuning in and listening to that content in the past. I'll stick to basically two different types of episodes, the tech downloads, which will probably be a weekly show now where I'll kind of recap all of the best and greatest tech news that I found most interesting for the week. And I'll give you guys my thoughts and opinions just as I have in the past, but that'll be very scripted, very uh, sort of rigid and very short and concise. So trying to keep those episodes to, you know, basically 12 minutes or so. And then I'll continue doing the um, tech perspective episodes probably once every few weeks as well. And those will be talking about just some of my favorite new tech purchases or tech items that I'm using day to day um, or anything else interesting. But they'll be dedicated to focusing usually about one specific product or one category of products for each episode. So that'll be for the content that goes to the Anchor application. Now, when it comes to the content that I'll be creating specifically to be used to create a podcast episode that'll be uploaded to iTunes and all your favorite podcast platforms, that's going to be more like the content that I'm going to create for this episode. So a little bit more conversational based, a little bit more loose and raw, uh, a lot less editing. So you may hear me (laughs) sneeze or take a sip of water or even uh, maybe yell at my dog if that happens to be something that occurs during an episode. But um, I'm going to keep them much more loose and much more uh, sort of laid back, more like a traditional podcast, something um, that's just more like I would be having a conversation if you were sitting here in this room with me. So um, so that's that's going to be the difference and the changes to how I'm going to approach the content for Gadget Reason going forward. So I hope that you guys enjoy the content. I hope you like the changes that I'm going to be making, and I hope that you continue to find it helpful, educational, entertaining, and uh, and interesting. So so that's that's the main difference uh, between what I was doing in the past and what I'm going to be doing going forward. All right, so let's get into the meat of this Gadget Reason episode, episode one, the flagship episode of the Gadget Reason podcast. Um, The first thing I want to talk about, and I alluded to this earlier, is some of the details around the new Anchor FM application. Now, first of all, I want to give a huge shout out to the folks at Anchor because they have built this new category of social media sort of, I guess, this new social media product category, really, involving specifically audio. And they've basically created this category from the ground up, and they've they've come so far in such a short period of time. They've, um, they've really listened to the feedback from all of their users. Uh, they've continued to just add feature after feature. And then in a matter of what seems like just a few weeks, they completely revamped the entire experience from the ground up. And what I want to talk about today is any of you out there that are listening to this podcast, if you've ever thought to yourself that there's some subject that you're extremely passionate about and that you would have loved to create a podcast, but you just maybe didn't have the technical skills or you just you thought it seemed too difficult to actually create a podcast, get it all recorded, and then figure out how to upload it and get it sort of out there in the public, then you definitely need to check out the Anchor platform. The thing that is still the most amazing about Anchor is the fact that anybody can just download the app and without any additional equipment other than your phone, you could theoretically just record content and start posting it to the app as well as sending it off to um, all of the top podcast platforms to be downloaded by anybody who wants to hear it. Now, Obviously, there's going to be a big difference in the quality if you were to do it that way versus using you know, various types of microphones or per- perhaps the way I do it, which is recording it more professionally in sort of a studio type environment with you know, professional microphones and you know, echo resistant foam on the walls and you know, all that good stuff. I'm using Logic 10 so I can basically go in and edit and tweak the sound performance of each individual part, all the different tracks and um, add you know, background audio and all that stuff. But 
the point is, is that anybody can create a podcast using just the app alone. Um, and if you want to kind of hear the the difference between what it would sound like, say, recording with your phone versus maybe recording with something like some AirPods in your ears and using the mic from those versus, let's say, um, using something like a lightning or USB microphone uh, all the way up to, you know, something like my professional microphone, I could probably do an episode on that in the near future where I kind of give you guys a breakdown of some of the best options out there and kind of let you hear the difference. I'll record different segments using different microphones and you guys can kind of hear for yourself how little effort it really takes to get much better sounding audio. But um, needless to say, the Anchor app is incredible and I'm a huge fan. So looking at some of the updates to the Anchor application that I think are basically the most significant. Um, the first thing is, is that you now have the, the ability to reorder segments in your episodes and sort of build those episodes out from audio that you've recorded previously within the app. So that's a huge step forward because it gives you a lot more flexibility with how you're piecing together these different episodes that you want to possibly upload into a podcast. One of the other cool things is they removed the five limit, um, the five minute limit on mobile recording. So you can now capture basically an entire podcast if you wanted to all in one go. So you could basically hit record on your phone you know, talk for an hour and 20 minutes, save that, upload it, and there's your hour and 20 minute podcast. In the past, you had to record five minute segments, so you kind of had to plan out where the breaks were gonna be. Um, And if you wanted to upload external audio using the anchor.fm dashboard, you had to uh, basically, it it would split them into five minute segments. So even if you uploaded an hour long recording of audio, it would break those all up. So that was kind of something that made things just a little bit more difficult than they needed to be. Another cool feature that I think could come in handy, especially if you were maybe doing some type of a podcast where you were going to be maybe on location somewhere or you were going to be at an event um, and you wanted to kind of record some live stuff, you can now record things even when you don't have an audio or I'm sorry, an internet connection. So you can basically record them and save them as a draft and then you can go back later and reorder those into your episode and then upload the entire episode at a later time, which I think is really a nice new feature as well. Um... There's some conversation-based things that are more exclusive to specifically the app experience. So when you're actually using the Anchor app on your phone, um, having conversations back and forth with people. So that's that's something that obviously won't be available to anybody who's listening via the podcast. But for anybody who is using the Anchor app, that's a, a really cool, fun interactive way to interact with your community. So, um, you know, that's kind of just the gist of some of the cool new things. Really, one of the best new features to the update to Anchor really comes from the Anchor.fm dashboard. So when you go to Anchor.fm from a PC or an iPad, when you go through basically a web browser, um, there used to not be a whole lot of information that was available there. It was pretty much just giving you a list of all the content you've ever uploaded and it allowed you to use the Clipper um, link to basically upload external audio. Well, the dashboard has been completely revamped now and you now have um, a list of your total plays all time, like how many minutes of uh, people people have actually listened to you, how many minutes total people have listened to all of your content, how many average plays per episode you get. Uh, it shows a, um, a nice graph displaying all the different ups and downs. So, you know, different months that you had more listeners and where your performance has sort of tracked. And this all just adds up to giving you a lot more options to know what kind of content is working better than others and um, just allows you to also track for analytics purposes, maybe if you're trying to get advertisers or if you're trying to get sponsors or, or really anything else that might pertain to how your specific content is performing. And I think that that is huge. So it's definitely going to allow me to better um, figure out how I can map out and manage my time when it comes to trying to create more consistent and more reliable content for the podcast. So I'm really excited about all those features. So so that is kind of my big thoughts on the new relaunching of the Anchor app. I'd still like to see a few other things. Uh, One of the things that I've been requesting for a long time is for the ability to upload or to add external background audio like background music or or anything like that uh, via the application so even when you're 
when you're out and about mobile and you wanted to build an episode, currently there's no way to add a background track, an audio track um, separately. So that's something that I really enjoy. I like having intro music that fades in and out. Um, I like having sometimes maybe some sound effects or bringing in some audio from something that I heard on the internet that I'm going to be talking about, um, things like that. And it would be really helpful to be able to bring that stuff in. I also would really like the option when you do use the background audio features within the app of being able to um, fade those in and out. So just being able to have some kind of a little animated line where you could select at what points the volume were to go up and down. So uh, other than that, I think that they've done really a phenomenal job. And if you haven't already, definitely go download the Anchor FM or the Anchor application from iTunes or Android, uh, the Google Play Store, and, and give it a go. It's pretty awesome. All right, so switching gears just a little bit, I want to talk about what have been some of my most favorite tech products of 2018. So these are just products that I've purchased in the first few months of 2018 or that have come out recently and the ones that I've personally been using and have quickly become sort of my go-to devices, devices that I use, you know, every day or at least multiple times a week, you know, the things that I just uh, at this point couldn't imagine living without now that I've had them. And I want to start that off with the uh, MacBook Pro. Now, technically, the MacBook Pro that I'm using came out at the end of 2017, but uh, it's pretty much just been something that I incorporated into using right at the very end of 2017 and heading into 2018. And I want to talk a little bit about um, the MacBook Pro and you know why I chose it and and why this has sort of become a, a much bigger. Um, a much bigger part of my everyday activities than I thought it would. So um, if you've listened to the show in the past, you know that for the longest time, I really haven't had a laptop. Um, You know, I work for myself, so I typically spend most of my day in my office slash design studio. And I have... um, you know, I have my full-blown workstation set up there with my my custom-built PC, my 5K iMac, all my audio recording gear, my video editing gear, my graphic design gear, my, my Wacom tablets. I pretty much have everything that I need. And being that I do work for myself, I really haven't had much need for a laptop. On the rare occasions that I'm traveling or I'm away from my desk and I need to get some light work done, I typically use my original 12.9-inch iPad Pro, which still does everything that I need it to, especially with some of the more pro-type applications that have become available over the past uh, six to eight months. So um, towards the end of 2017, I had decided that for a couple of reasons, I wanted to uh, I wanted to get a laptop so that I could do basically the same exact types of work that I do on my desktop uh, on a mobile device. And the main reasons for that were really just came down to a few times when I am traveling and I get a project or something that I need to finish and it just makes my life easier to know. Uh, it's a little, little less stressful to not have to worry about being in a situation where I wished I had Uh, something that could accomplish those tasks versus having it and not needing it. So that was the first part. The second part is, is that when my wife is home during the evenings and we're watching TV or something, sometimes I would spend the entire night, you know, sort of locked away in my studio doing work uh, and not getting to spend some time with her. So I found that it might be nice to be able to get some of that work done on the couch while I'm talking to my wife and watching TV and whatever. So those were really the driving factors behind me getting a new laptop. And when it came down to it, I knew with all the things that I needed this thing to do, which is, again, be able to do everything that I do on my desktop in a mobile, you know, computing device, Um, I pretty much immediately had narrowed it down to the Surface Book 2, um, which I absolutely love, and the, the latest MacBook Pro. So after going back and forth for a couple of weeks and really agonizing over the decision, I decided that changing up a few key parts of my workflow to having to use Windows-based apps that really were not equivalent to uh, some of the Mac apps that I use. Um, So, you know, specifically, uh, I'm a huge Final Cut fan. I love to do video editing in Final Cut, and I really couldn't imagine having to switch over to using Adobe Premiere. Now, I have an Adobe subscription. I do have access to Adobe Premiere, and I know how to use it. I'm just not as fast or efficient at it And for 4K video editing, I've found that there really is nothing faster and more reliable than Final Cut. 
And the same goes for a few other key applications that are just not available on Windows. So uh, ultimately I decided that I would go with the MacBook. So I got a 15 inch MacBook with the touch bar, 16 gigs of RAM, uh, pretty much spec'd out with the exception of storage space, which is not a big deal to me. Um, I have a Samsung T5 uh, 500 gigabyte portable SSD, which is super small and easy to pop in via USB-C. So uh, I wasn't too concerned about storage. All in all, I love the MacBook. I have found that it handles everything that I throw at it uh, basically seamlessly. Everything feels exactly like I'm working on my desktop. So I do think that the touch bar is, I still haven't decided what I think of the touch bar. It is a little bit gimmicky, and I think it is a bit of a stopgap between going to something like the Surface Book that has a full-blown touchscreen. But I also do agree with the fact that a touchscreen on a laptop is not something that I really would find myself using very often. It's an awkward position to hold your arm in, uh, sort of just holding your arm straight out to touch and navigate with the screen. And it's just not something that I could see being really that useful, not to mention the you know fingerprint disaster that your screen would be after, after a day of use. So um, I do like the idea of having some type of touch-based interface that's down where the keyboard is, um, but I'm just not sure how useful they can make the touch bar given its limited space. I do like a lot of the text correction type stuff, so it's similar to typing on your iPhone now. If you're typing on the keyboard and a word comes up, um, you can just tap the word on the touch bar. Um, it does have some cool integrations with things like Final Cut and with doing some photo editing work in Photoshop and other uh, Adobe apps. So, um, you know, I, I kind of basically look at it like an extra bonus. It's not something that I find myself needing, but I do use it you know, intermittently throughout the day, and I like that it's there. Aside from that, though, the laptop is thin, it's light, it's gorgeous, just like any other. Uh, it still has the best trackpad of any laptop you can buy. Um, the thing is enormous. It's basically the size of my entire hand. Um, so I really enjoy the MacBook, and I've been pretty happy um, with the purchase. Now, obviously, it's not for everybody. It's extremely expensive, um, but it's not any more really any more expensive than the Surface Book 2, which is really the only uh, PC or Windows-based laptop that I would have considered considered. So um, at the end of the day, price wasn't really the deciding factor. Now, moving on from that, uh, some of the more recent purchases that I've made that I have basically become addicted to almost instantaneously um, are two products from DJI. Now, if you remember listening to my show uh, most of last year, I talked about how I thought that 2017 was absolutely one of the most innovative years for the drone industry. And I kind of had a feeling that 2018 was going to continue that at least for some of the year. And if, if you heard or listened to my review of the DJI Spark, one of my sort of immediate impressions of the Spark was that it was great in just about every way, but I couldn't help but immediately looking forward to what DJI's next drone might be, um, either the Spark 2 or some other some other drone. And as it turns out, the DJI Mavic Air is exactly the drone that I was looking for. If if you already own a drone or if you're someone who's looking to buy your first drone, um, obviously the Spark is still something I could recommend because it's so affordable and because um, it, it's just a good starter drone. But the DJI Mavic Air, I think, in my opinion, is the best drone ever made by any company anywhere. It has every single feature that I could possibly want in a drone. Um, you know, as far as overall image quality, obviously there's going to be drones that DJI makes. The Aspire drones are their pro-level drones. You've got the Phantom uh, series drones like the Phantom uh, 4 Pro. Um, they're going to take much better video quality. Obviously, they have bigger cameras with bigger sensors, and there's no question they're going to take better footage. However, uh, I've owned a Phantom drone and the big problem with the phantoms is that they are large so you know you usually will not have it with you unless you specifically had planned to go do some drone footage shooting or some project with a drone you're not going to just happen to have your drone your your phantom drone with you it's not something you're going to carry by mistake my mavic air goes in my camera backpack and has not i basically have not gone out shooting 
video or photography or really gone anywhere where I haven't taken the Mavic Air with me since I got it. It is incredibly small when it's folded up. The biggest problem I had with the Spark was that they shrunk down a drone to be incredibly small, but then they gave it fixed arms for the propeller, you know, to sit on. And so basically you were stuck with this thing that took up a lot more of a footprint than it needed to. With the Mavic Air, they took all that same concept, plus all of the tech from the, the Mavic Pro, including the 4K camera and the three-axis stabilized gimbal, and they added in additional sensors, additional automated flight modes from the Spark, and put it all into a body that now has foldable and collapsible arms so that it fits into something that is basically the size of... I mean, it's basically the size of an Xbox 360 controller, maybe a little bit. I mean, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it is incredibly small. And the little case that they ship it with, it's kind of a soft zipper case, is absolutely perfect. It's molded on the inside to fit the drone. You put it in there, you zip it closed, you throw the charger and your remote in a bag, and you're good to go. Another really cool thing that they did was they made the joysticks on the controller removable so they unscrew and then they store right inside the controller itself and that little tiny detail makes the controller so much easier to pack away it is unbelievable um, how something so simple and insignificant sounding can make such a huge difference one of the biggest problems with traveling with the previous drones was that the controller needed to be packed in a way where the the joysticks weren't crammed in any direction because it's not good for the calibration of the joysticks so i was always worried that my bag was going to get you know bumped or kicked or sat on and i would either completely throw off the calibration of the joysticks or even perhaps break one of them off so just that whole idea, once again, DJI does a great job of thinking about the entire experience of how you're going to go about packing and using this drone. And, you know, from a footage standpoint, there's there, you know, you can complain about some of the dynamic range being missing from something like a Phantom. You can complain about a lot of little tiny details. But at the end of the day, this little drone takes incredibly sharp, beautiful looking 4K footage, three access stabilized, you know, it's it's an amazing tool to have and if you know me you know that my biggest sort of passion for technology comes from really tools most of my tech products that i buy throughout the course of a year would fall under what i would consider to be the tool category something that is either going to help make my life better more enjoyable more fulfilling or make my productivity easier or or just just make my life easier in some way um, those are my favorite kinds of tech products and i definitely consider a drone to be just that it's a tool it's another way for me to capture memories with my friends and family it's another way for me to capture beautiful moments in a storytelling situation where i want to create a video or some kind of content for social media and it's it's a great tool for capturing beautiful photography that i can use in, in addition to my more standard photography so um the Mavic Air is a huge win for DJI, in my opinion. I would I would give it a 9 out of 10 if I had to give it a score. Um, you know, I still would like to see the next big innovation from DJI figure out a way to give um, those tiny little cameras in these portable drones a variable aperture. That is, that is actually the biggest downfall to... Um, to the current technology. It is simply the fact that the only way to control things like your shutter speed and to control the overall amount of light that the drone captures is to get some filters. And if you're going to buy any DJI drone, I would highly recommend buying some Polar Pro uh, ND filters because controlling and being able to to, to set your, your shutter speed um, to be double your frame rate is really key to getting smooth looking natural looking uh cinema cinema style video so um yeah if you're gonna get a if you're gonna get a drone definitely plan on buying some nd uh filters from polo pro so uh that brings me to another dji product that i just received about a week ago and that is the DJI Osmo Mobile 2. Now, I had the original Osmo Mobile, and I've tried other gimbals uh, meant for smartphones as well as some of the ones that are meant for uh, small mirrorless cameras and for you know DSLRs. And I got to tell you, the DJI Osmo Mobile 2 is sort of the perfect culmination of... It's basically DJI doing what they do well. They take technology they've already developed and they take different R&D from other projects that they have working on and they kind of put everything together. DJI is one of those companies that does an incredible job of taking 
little parts of different pieces of technology for all of the different products that they create in their lineup and sort of mixing and matching them. So for example, on the new Osmo Mobile 2, they've added in the same motion tracking capabilities that are present on their drones. So for example, I could set up my Osmo Mobile on a tripod and I can put my phone in it and I could tell the software that I wanna track, let's say for example, a person or an object or even myself, and then I can move around and it's going to keep that camera very precisely and smoothly positioned aiming on that uh, object or person that's being tracked. That is so helpful and so damn cool to see in person. Um, But if you don't know, basically the Osmo Mobile is a three-axis stabilized gimbal, a motorized gimbal for your smartphone that allows you to get smooth, jitter-free motion tracking and, and basically movement without having to... Um, worry about you know some of the specific things like how exactly how you're moving your hand. So um, it just makes everything look very smooth, very clean, and um, that's that's the purpose of a gimbal. Now with the Osmo Mobile 2, the the tracking feature is great. Um, the battery life is great. It now has an internal battery that gets about uh, 17 hours, I believe, of battery life. Um, it, it, I've really never had to think about the battery life on it to this point. It pretty much just is always charged, it always has battery life. Um, Once a week, I put a charger on it, and I know that it's gonna be good to go for the next few days. So um, it's, it's really solid in terms of battery life. The, uh, the joystick and all of the movements are, are incredibly smooth. The zoom feature now, which is a little thumb slider on the side, allows you to access the, um, the electronic zoom feature of your smartphone's camera, and it does a very cinematic style, smooth zoom in or out. Um, it's really useful in just creating some more motion for your shots. Uh, it, just everything top to bottom. The thing feels solidly built. It's, it's everything you would expect from a DJI product. That's pretty much all I can say. If you've ever owned anything from DJI, you know that they make high quality, um, you know, professional level products. And the Osmo Bubble 2 is no different. Really, the biggest differences between, I would say, some of the off-brand cheap gimbals and something from DJI is really comes down to the, the software. Um, you know, the, the DJI... Um, go app that runs the camera when you're using it for purposes of creating video or photos with the with the Osmo Mobile 2 is it's been it's been an up and down deal they've had some bugs and issues and um, I think even now the the overall review score in the app store is not that great but I think this latest version gets just about everything right um, using it to do automated um, 360 degree panoramas and panoramic photos has been nothing short of perfect. Um, and, and all in all for the $129 that this thing costs, I pretty much would consider it a strong buy for anybody that enjoys taking video or photos with their, with their smartphone camera. So, um, it's, it's incredible that they've been able to give this much quality, this much technology in something for 129 bucks. So, uh, definitely kudos to DJI for knocking it out of the park with the Osmo Mobile 2. One other thing that I wanted to mention that uh, it's just something that I noticed the other day that I find myself using every single day um, of this year, especially, is this is an application, actually, and it's a specific uh, application for the iPad Pro series of tablets, and it's the Infinity Photo app for the iPad. And if you're not familiar with Serif, Serif is a company that makes a competing line of products to all of the Adobe Pro app. So basically they make Infinity Photo, which is available for Windows, Mac, and now for iPad. And it is a full-blown competing app to something like Photoshop. And it actually has some things that it, it does better than Photoshop, if you can believe that or not. And it's available without a subscription. You just buy the app uh, at a one-time price. And it's definitely one of the most expensive apps in the um, iOS app store, but it is 100% well-deserved. This application is basically a one-to-one copy of the desktop version. It is unbelievable how much time, effort, and thought Serif put into making Infinity Photo for the iPad and how they were able to capture just about the entire user experience from top to bottom for the iPad, but also adjust all of those things to make it so that it's easy to use with a touch-based device, something that doesn't have a mouse and a keyboard. Um, They did an incredible job. It's been out for a little while now, but the reason why I put it into my favorite sort of tech for 2018 is there was a huge update that came, um, I believe it was like a week or two ago, and 
it fixed a lot of bugs, it added some new features, and they also included several free downloads for anybody who purchases the app, purchases the app now, and for anyone who's already purchased the app. And they have some effects brushes and some new filters. And when you put it all together, um, I've been obsessed with this app ever since the last update. I already used it on a on the regular basis anyway, but now after this latest update, um, I've found that I can do just about everything that I would want to do or need to do in Photoshop right there on my iPad, anywhere, anytime. And, you know, the user interface is gorgeous. It does take some getting used to. It's very different. It's very different than using Photoshop. And I've been using Photoshop for better part of 15 years. So I am very efficient with the keyboard shortcuts and with exactly where to find everything. And I've created custom workspaces in Photoshop for years for different types of work. And my efficiency in Photoshop is is a thousand percent better than what it is currently with either the desktop version of Infinity Photo or even the iPad version. But as I continue to learn and continue to adjust, um, you know, and, and just kind of figure out the best way to use it, there's no denying that it is an incredibly powerful app. And it really does highlight not only the power of the iPad Pro, and keep in mind, I'm using the, the original uh, 12.9 inch iPad Pro from a few years ago. And to this day, I still have not seen any reason to upgrade. That thing is so powerful. Um, I really have not ever noticed it slow down or bog down. And, you know, again, I'm using something like Infinity Photo, which is a, a desktop quality application with um, desktop quality effects and things like zooming or rotating an image just happen instantaneously. There's just no lag. And with the Apple Pencil, I'm able to do uh, painting, drawing, airbrushing on photos. And, and it just, it's, it's amazing that there's no lag, no, no issues whatsoever, even with extremely high resolution photos and, and even doing raw photo editing. So, um, you know, it's, it's amazing what they've been able to do. And I'm extremely, extremely anxious to get my hands on Infinity Designer for the iPad Pro. Um, if you're not familiar, Infinity the designer is their answer to Adobe Illustrator. It's a full vector uh, workshop based software that lets you do anything that you could do in Adobe Illustrator. And they've been hinting at and even teasing photos and videos of the iPad version for quite a while. And it looks to be exactly the same thing that they did with Infinity Photo. It looks like it's going to be a full-blown, um, fully featured version for the iPad that has everything that's in their desktop version. So uh, I'm excited to get my hands on that. I think it's going to be amazing what I'm going to be able to do with just an iPad um, with an app like Infinity Designer. So those are my sort of my top obsessions uh, in terms of tech products and tech um, in 2018. I do want to mention a few other holdovers that I'm still obsessed about from 2017. Uh, I'm still completely addicted and obsessed with my Apple AirPods. Uh, I've never found a more versatile or a more, um, I've never found a pair of headphones that I've been so, so just obsessed with. I use them probably 15 to 20 times every single day, whether it's for answering phone calls, listening to music, watching videos. Um, they're just so effortless to use. Popping them out of their case, putting them in your ears, you know, the fact that it automatically gets detected by all your different Apple devices. Uh, and then when you're done, you just pop them in the case and they're charged. They're always charged. I have never had a Bluetooth set of headphones that I could rely on this much. You know, typically, you know, with other Bluetooth headphones, you'd go to use them and you forget to charge them and they're, you know, how they're dead and, you know, all that. The fact that these just get thrown in their case and once every two to three days I charge the case when I go to bed, I've never once gone to use my AirPods and not had them work and be fully charged and ready to go. Um, I'm still obsessed with my Nintendo Switch. I haven't been using it as much lately because I've been extremely busy, but, uh, you know, I did go on a trip to New York recently and... I, you know, I played with it on the plane ride and I was able to get some time in, you know, before bed. It's great being able to take the same exact game that you play on your TV at home with you on the go. There's no denying that. That's still the coolest feature of the Nintendo Switch. And uh, I'm still a huge fan of the Xbox One X. I consider myself to be a PS4 or a PlayStation fanboy. Uh, I'm definitely a bigger fan of the exclusive titles for PlayStation, but uh, I still say that it's amazing that Xbox or that Microsoft, I should say, was able to deliver something the size and form factor of the Xbox One X that is capable of true 4K gaming. And yes, you can make all the arguments you want about uh, whether it is true 4K in many cases, you know, checkerboarding, dynamic resolution, scaling, all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, uh, on your 4K television in HDR from across the room, it looks incredible and the games look 
basically it's the best looking version of any game you're going to get on a console and it looks damn close to what it would look like if you just hooked up your pc to your television so it is a great experience and i'm just really impressed with the tech and the fact that it doesn't even get noisy or overheat is a huge feat so um so that's kind of my thoughts on most of the tech that i'm currently using that i'm currently sort of uh, obsessing over right now um and i think that the rest of 2018 is is also going to be very uh i think very camera heavy very drone heavy and as as always very smartphone heavy so i think you know i think obviously you may see some some new television type innovations or or monitor innovations in terms of resolution hdr capabilities all that good stuff oled versus some of the other competing technologies but I do think that uh, in the past couple of years, camera tech has really been at the forefront of fast-moving tech innovation, and I think that's going to continue through 2018. And I definitely think that that drones are going to continue to be a huge emerging market as DJI continues to pump out products that are so easy to fly, that are so reliable, that have so many safety features. Um, I just think that, uh, that that's going to be a huge thing going forward. I will be doing a full review on my dji mavic air probably in the next week to 10 days and i think that that's going to be just an exclusive bit of content for the anchor app so that i don't have to do that as a full-blown podcast episode so like i said earlier i'm going to try and keep these podcast episodes specific to um this more loosey-goosey conversational based style uh, where i won't be doing a whole lot of editing i'm just going to be talking through some interesting things in tech um so i'm going to try and keep most of the review type stuff or product specific conversations to shorter more concise and fully edited um, content that i'll put on the anchor fm app so if you're listening to this via podcast be sure to download the anchor fm app follow or subscribe whatever they call it these days to my station um gadget reason on anchor and be sure to follow me on social media at gadget reason you can find me on twitter uh, instagram all that good stuff um and be on the lookout for any of that that additional content that i don't have here on the podcast So moving on from some of my favorite tech in 2017 slash 2018, I wanted to talk about some of the more recent camera announcements that have come out from some of the top manufacturers like Canon and Sony. Uh, I continue to be impressed with the crazy rate at which camera technology continues to get accelerated. And I think a big, big reason for that is really all owed to YouTube. Um, you know, you've got a huge generation of of kids coming up and and of young adults coming up that have grown up watching these pro YouTubers, these professional people that uh, make their living making YouTube content. And they see that they now have the ability to buy some of the same equipment that these YouTubers that their favorite YouTube celebrities are using to create content. And they think, wow, if I can also get that same equipment, then maybe I'll be able to create, um, you know, content as good as what they're creating. And, you know, we all know that tools are only part of the equation. But I do think that the fact that that tech is available to the average consumer or prosumer is definitely something that is driving uh, not only camera sales, but driving the tech behind it as well. I think the the camera manufacturers know that there is this huge market of people that want to create content for social media, content for YouTube, and that they are, are obsessed with having camera gear that can continuously perform and do things that the previous generation of cameras cannot do. Um, and so um, recently we had the announce for, uh, announcement excuse me, from Canon where they have announced their first and what most people would argue is long overdue uh, 4K mirrorless camera in the EOS M50. And, uh, you know, if, if you watched any of the announcement or you've seen any of the YouTube reviews on the M50, it's kind of a mixed bag. It's, um, it's long overdue that they finally have something that can do 4k when, you know, the competing manufacturers like Panasonic and many others have been making 4k cameras for, for a while now. Um, but they finally do have a 4k camera and, uh, you know, at least they have it now, I guess. I try not to give too much of an opinion on a product until I've actually had some hands-on time with it, uh, and I haven't had a chance to use the M50 yet. So uh, when I do, I'll kind of give you guys my impressions on how it performs compared to something like the Panasonic GH4, GH5, GH5S, other cameras that I personally have owned and used. So um, yeah, so I'll talk more about that later. But Sony also had a huge announcement of their own, which is, of course, the Sony... Um, 
A7 Mark III. Now, that is a camera that I am extremely interested in. Now, I made the switch back from going to, uh, I used to have, I used to be a diehard Canon guy, then I went to Sony for quite a few years, and then I recently, about a year and a half ago, made the jump back to Canon specifically for some of the things that I wanted in a DSLR that, that Sony wasn't really offering, and now I'm having a little bit of FOMO. Uh, I'm having a little bit of that fear of missing out on some of the great things that Sony's doing. Um, the problem is now, of course, that I have a huge um, stock of lenses that are all Canon or uh, Panasonic-based uh, Micro Four Thirds lenses. And so going back again and having to switch everything back over to the E-mount that is most prominent now for, for Sony cameras um, is not something that I'm really excited about. But uh, I got to tell you, the, the, uh, the Sony A7 Mark III is, looks to be an incredible camera on so many levels. Um, it's, it's very interesting to me that they refer to it um, as sort of an entry level or, or a, you know, sort of a, a basic model. Um, because if you, if you watch a review, I don't know if you guys follow uh, Kai W, Kai Wong on, uh, on either any social media platform, but specifically on YouTube, um, he does some of the best and most entertaining uh, camera re camera reviews and uh, basically anything centered around video or photography. And uh, I find him to be really hilarious. Uh, he's from the UK, so he's got a great accent. Um, but if you watch his review, which uh, I can try to leave a link here in the description of this uh, of this episode for the A7 Mark III, um, it's kind of more of a preview than a, than a, than a actual full blown review because he actually went to the Sony event and got some hands-on time with it. Um, he seems pretty excited about it and he had a lot of good things to say about it. So, um, you know, I'm definitely, again, I haven't had any hands-on time with it yet myself. I'm definitely going to look into acquiring one, at least for testing purposes, and uh, I'm going to hope that I don't love it so much that uh, that I want to keep it and uh, have to figure out how to get rid of all my existing lenses and switch back over to the Sony, uh, the Sony side of things. So, but um, again, I continue to be really amazed at how quickly. Uh, camera technology keeps evolving and how cheap it continues to get. So, you know, the, the Sony a7 Mark III is yet another 4K camera that shoots incredible 4K video. Uh, they claim 15 stops of dynamic range uh, with an ISO max of 204,800. Uh, unbelievable, unbelievable specs, uh, unbelievable promises that Sony is making in a camera that, uh, at least relatively speaking, is is inexpensive, you know, $2,000 or so. Um, so, yeah, definitely stay tuned for more information about the A7 Mark III uh, once I get some hands-on time with it. Moving on from the camera world for a minute, I wanted to talk very, very briefly about the Galaxy S9, S9 Plus uh, that was just recently unveiled. You know, I am a smartphone junkie. I, I am uh, completely um, disloyal. I will, I will flock to and play with any latest, greatest smartphone. I don't care who makes it. Uh, I had seven different smartphones last year. Uh, obviously, my iPhones are my go-to daily drivers, but that's only because it it's so easy because of all the different things that I'm doing. As I said earlier, tools. It's all about tools for me. And the fact that I use an iPad, I do have Mac computers, um, and the fact that I'm running multiple different businesses, it just makes my life much easier to have everything in sync, especially now that Apple implemented the Files app within iOS. Um, you know, I can get all the files that are on my desktop. Um, those are the same files that I can view on the on my laptop version of my desktop and on the Files desktop app in you know, iOS. So um, that is the only reason why Apple is my daily driver or iPhones are my daily driver. Aside from that, I, I do have secondary devices that I rotate through the entire year. And um, I'm not really a Samsung fan, though, which is the interesting thing. So I'm not a huge fan of the Samsung experience, their their user experience that they put on top of Android. I still would much pref much more prefer a stock Android experience similar to what you get on the Google Pixel line of phones. So that usually is one of the big reasons that I stay away from the Samsung devices. I'm also not a huge fan of the hyper-saturated colors that they use for their OLED displays. I know that that's kind of uh, the 
complete antithesis of what most people love about uh, an OLED display, but I just, I really like natural colors. It's the graphic designer slash artist in me. I, I think that the OLED, um, the OLED colors, not only on their phones, but on their televisions are completely overblown and overdone. The greens look completely unnatural. The reds are, are practically neon. Uh, I'm just not a huge fan. So uh, with that being said, the Galaxy S9 has the first smartphone camera to have an adjustable aperture. And to me, that is incredibly innovative. And it actually makes me kind of angry that that Apple didn't come up with that first and that they allowed Samsung to beat them to it. That is such a huge leap in camera technology when you think about how small these lenses need to be and the camera modules are so tiny um, that Samsung was able to figure out a way to have an actual um, shutter iris that is adjustable on that tiny little camera is so cool to me and I cannot wait to get my hands on it and play with it and get some, some hands-on comparison photos from that versus my iPhone 10. Um, so if you guys follow MKBHD, one of the best tech YouTubers, one of the best tech people on the planet, um, here's what he had to say about the Galaxy S9, at least at the very, his sort of first impressions. It seems like this whole event, this announcement was saved from being called the exact same phone as last year by one major feature upgrade, the camera. So, you know, obviously MKBHD, if you know him and you watch his videos, he's definitely much more of an Android guy than an iOS guy. And so I found it kind of interesting that, you know, even he was able to kind of be relatively objective and, and kind of recognize the fact that, you know, the Galaxy S9 really doesn't offer a whole heck of a lot over uh, the previous Galaxy S8 or S8 Plus, um, except for this incredible new camera feature. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to dismiss that as being not a big deal. Uh, obviously, cameras are one of the biggest reasons people upgrade phones as it is. So I, I certainly think that any huge innovation to camera tech on a smartphone is going to be a big deal. And I'm sure that Samsung is going to do everything they can to milk that. And and rightfully so. Like I said, um, Apple definitely missed the boat when it came to having an opportunity with something as expensive as the iPhone 10 to really go all out and push things to the next level. So I, I definitely do think it's going to be interesting to see what Apple does with this going forward, because as we all know, Apple loves to see what everybody else does and then try to not only sort of copy or build on that but to really perfect it so i'd really be curious to see what apple is going to plan to do with their next set of cameras um, based on what samsung has come out with here so um yeah i'm definitely excited to get my hands on it and test it out and again i will be bringing you guys more information about that once i have a chance to test it myself and i'll post some comparison images and all that to my instagram or to twitter so you guys can check them out there too so be sure to follow me there if you don't already so guys that is gonna do it for this first episode of the gadget reason podcast i hope you guys enjoyed the content and i hope you enjoy the format that i'm going to be taking here with the podcast episodes but as i said at the beginning of this episode there will be plenty of other content if you're not necessarily in the mood for a full hour-long podcast or if you just enjoy some of those bite-sized little bits of information that i provide um, definitely be sure to subscribe to my station on the anchor application and listen to all of that content there as well but you can definitely look for to more podcast episodes coming each week from here on out. So uh, I want to take one more quick second to thank everybody who's supported the Gadget Reason station on Anchor and the podcast over the past few months. Uh, it's really cool to be able to create some content and know that people are out there listening to it. And I was really surprised to find out that really more people are listening to the Gadget Reason content that I produced via a podcast of one form or another over the actual app. So um, I definitely think that um, it was something I was not expecting. So thank you to everybody that's subscribed, that's favored the channel, that's listening via the podcast or the Anchor application. You guys have a great rest of your week and I will talk to you all next week. Bye.